0: And here today on our series, questions and answers, we are going to be looking at the question, should America have open borders or closed borders? This is a pretty important subject, if for no other reason, because it's going to be something that's going to be part of our voting for the, uh, probably the next couple of years, it'll be an important aspect of what we'll be voting on for our, our candidates and it'll probably play a pretty big role in our presidential election coming up here in just in a couple of years. So I think it's important that uh, Christians establish where they stand on this particular view of whether or not we should have open borders or whether the borders should be closed and have particular stipulations upon entering this country. And that's important because as I make this uh, video today, there is a large group of people coming up from the south through our Mexican borders that are about to approach America. And the question is, do we let them in or do we keep them out? So I thought that it would be important for us to open up and see what God has to say upon about this particular subject. It's it's a fiery subject to say the least, Um, discussing it whether it's with Christians or non-Christians. Christians have, uh, we'll say, a, a divided view on what what we should do. But what does the Bible say? And so I wanna take just a few minutes here today to open up God's word and see what the Bible has to say. And I hope that we can establish that this is uh, not some extreme example, but that God actually lines out in his word what he expects of, we'll say, a Christian nation and how that nation is to run, including the immigration aspect of it. So let's start with, we're going to start in Galatians. We're going to start in Galatians chapter um, three, because I need to establish something very important here. I need to establish who the Old Testament applies to, because I'm going to spend a great deal of time in the Old Testament. And the reason is, is that's where God established all this um, information for us to learn from when it comes to how our country is to be run. But if we have those that are out there saying, well, that's 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 the Old Testament, or that, that's written to the Jews, that's not written to me. I need to establish firsthand that the Old Testament is written as much to you as a Christian as it is to anyone else that is a Christian. And that we cannot divide out the Old Testament from the Bible simply because we don't um, identify ourselves with the Jews. So let's turn in our Bible to Galatians chapter three, and we'll start with verse number seven. Know ye therefore, that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. A second witness in that very same chapter, verse 29, it says, and if ye be Christ, then ye, Abraham. if ye be Christ, Then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. These two verses basically saying the same thing. They have only two interpretations. The first interpretation is a rather literal interpretation, which means that only the seed of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob can be saved. They're the only ones that will ultimately come to Christ in the heart. We can't read the heart. There's going to be a lot of people that we see in the world that claim to be um, Christians, that claim to be called by Christ, but only God knows who those people really are. So the, we have the one interpretation, and the literal one, that only those of the seed of Abraham will be called to be Christians. Then we have the second interpretation, which is spiritualizes that, which says that if you are a Christian, then you are automatically made a spiritual seed of Abraham. Now, we're not going to go into that subject today. That's a long subject. But here's here's what I want to show. I want to show that it does not matter which one of those two interpretations that you want to go with. They both are going to say that if you are saved, if you are a Christian, regardless of whether it's a literal seed of Abraham or a spiritual seed of Abraham, you are the seed of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, which means that you are an Israelite which means that the Old Testament is written to the Christians as much as it ever was to just Israel itself. Because you have to be, whether it's literal or spiritual, an Israelite, a seed of Abraham to be saved. So I hope I've made that that point really clear, that you don't get out of the Old Testament just because you don't identify with the literal seed of Israel but if you believe that you are a spiritual seed of Israel, then that attaches you just as strong to the Old Testament. So let's turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter seven, and let's just see what God calls for his people. Christians are his people, okay? What does God call for his people in the area, we'll say of national government? Well, now, let me restate that. We're not going to get into the laws of the land. We're going to just get into as a nation, what is God looking for as far as a mixture of people. So let's look. We're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse number 1. We've got we got a lot of reading, so let's get going. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and thou hast cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Gergesites, and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Parasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. So the children of Israel are getting ready to go into the, the land of Canaan as God promised. And, he's, and, he's, and this is what, what we're going to see. What are they supposed to do when they get there? He says, These nations greater than you, we're, you're going to um, conquer them because I'm with you. But after that, let's see what, we're, what they're supposed to do. Once they're in the land, What are they supposed to do? And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy upon them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughters thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, and they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But once they're in the land, I don't know if you saw that. I haven't finished reading yet. We have another verse to go. But there seems like that that he doesn't want his people and the rest of the world living together. Did you pick up on that? God does not want, and he tells us why. He said, I don't want you to marry them. I don't want you to have anything to do with them. He says, utterly will destroy them, get them out of the land, get away from them. This is gonna be where you live, okay? America is our home. It was, it was founded as a Christian nation. We cannot dispute that. Any historian knows that this was founded on covenants with God, our nation, America. It was once a Christian nation. It is no longer just a Christian nation. Have we, as Christians, there's nobody in this country we can blame more than ourselves. You know why? Because it started with us. It started with us. It had to be us that began to compromise, begin to slip, and let the rope go a little bit. And where did we let the rope go? Oh, in so many areas. And it started with our immigration policies. All right? Our borders became more and more open and more specifically the type of people that it became open to. It no longer was about what did you believe? Do you believe in God? Are you a Christian? Was that part of our immigration policy? We can clearly see that it is no longer part of our immigration policy today. And therefore, and here's what it said. I want to read the, the last verse that we're going to read here today. It said, verse number five, but thus shall, thou, thus shall ye deal with them Ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, and cut down their grove, and burn their graven images with fire. We are to destroy all evidence of an ungodly religion. Those are harsh words. Now, this is not a call. I am not calling anyone to go out and do these things. This was done under a a legitimate government that God set up, but it had priests and it had judges and it had, it was a a regular civil government. And this was what once the land was given to the Israelites, then under that government, these things were gonna take place, okay? We're under a, a different government today and we have let the government turn into what it is. So under our legal system today, this would be illegal. And therefore, as Christians, we are to follow man's law God says, give under Caesar what is Caesar, and under God what is God. So as long as, as God, or man's law doesn't directly violate a law that hurts my relationship with God, we are to follow that law. So under our laws today, this does not happen. But my, what I want you to see is, is this was God's original will for Christians, for his people, that they were to be separate from other religions, other belief systems. Other everything that it was just to be them and him, nobody else. I would be scared to truly look into how many temples and buildings of worship that we have inside of the American borders that are to other gods other than our Heavenly Father Jehovah. I would shudder to shake to think how many people in this country are worshiping gods other than the one true only God, the creator of heaven and earth. God called his people not to allow that in their country, but to drive them out to keep, see, they were already out. We have been inviting them in. We've been letting them in as quick as we can. And now we have a group coming up from Mexico now, not from Mexico, but through Mexico up to our southern borders that are demanding, not asking, demanding to come in, and Christians are crying and screaming and demanding to let them in. Yet that violates everything that God called for in His word. Let's turn to the New Testament. We have a New Testament, yeah, we do, and First and Corinthians. Verse, rather, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 14. Well-known verse. You know, everybody can probably quote this verse to a, to a degree. Yet, Christians today fail to follow it almost at every aspect. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? That is exactly what Deuteronomy chapter seven is establishing. I don't want my people to be distracted, influenced in any way by other gods. I don't want there to be even the smallest chance that the children that are born into these families are going to be pulled down a road other than following me. It's it's scary to think what our children are learning in our public schools. There was a day in this country when our public schools taught the Bible. They don't teach the Bible anymore. Why? Because we don't wanna offend anyone that's not a Christian. Why is a Christian nation worried about offending somebody that's not a Christian? Because we're no longer a Christian nation. And the reason is because the Christians have compromised. We have let this happen. And in many aspects, we deliberately let this happen. Because we wanted the opportunity to evangelize, right? That's the whole reason that we're, we're calling these people up through our borders. is like we, This is an opportunity to evangelize these people. Jesus gave us a model, a very good model of evangelism. And you know, I, I'm not against people that go on mission trips. I seldom see the missionary trips follow this example. Yeah, this is the example that Jesus gave. He gave the, well, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to see an example that Christ, is getting ready to send out 70 people, 70 disciples, and he's going to send them to all these different towns, all these different cities to evangelize, to spread the word. But here's the stipulation he gives, okay? So we're going to jump into the story. Oh say, verse number number 10. So to, to, to get up to that point, Jesus tells these seven, he says, I want you to go into all these different cities, okay? He says, take no food, take no raiment, take no money, because the people that you're going to go to are going to take care of you. Now, right off the bat, we can see, is that what our mission trips look like today? Or do our mission trips take a whole bunch of money a whole bunch of food, a whole bunch of everything, education, you name it, and they flood into these these third world countries and they give them all this good stuff and say, oh, but you gotta receive Christ. That's called purchasing. You guys can cut it however you want, but the way I see it, and you don't have to agree with me, and I could be wrong, but from where I'm sitting, when I see the way that we go into some of these countries, these countries that don't even want us in there, And what we do is we don't bring the promise of salvation. We bring the promise of uh, food, water, and education. And then with that, we weave Jesus in with it. And sure, a couple of people are going to be really grateful for that. And why not receive Christ? Sure, you're there and you've done good things. I see your brotherly love. I'll accept Christ. But that's not the working of the Holy Spirit. That's bribery. That's, that's, That's a purchase. Only Christ can purchase a life. Only Christ can purchase a soul, and I think sometimes that's the the issue is, is that we're looking at a godlike mentality that I can go and purchase somebody out of darkness. But let me let's see what Jesus said to do. He said, first, don't take anything with you. Okay, they'll provide, or they're not going to get something. But what else did he say? Verse number ten. But unto what? whatsoever city ye enter and they receive you not go your way out into the streets of the same and say. So if you go into a town, you go into a home, whatever it may be, and they don't receive what you have to say. You don't keep going back. You don't keep saying, oh, well, hold on. Let me explain it to you this way. Let me explain it to you this way. Hold on. What if I give you this? Does that sound familiar? It does to me. We don't give up. We're gonna, we're gonna keep coming back. We're told, no, we don't, you don't wanna be here. Well, I don't want you here. We don't want you in our country. We won't want you in our town, but we keep coming back, keep coming back and forcing our stuff. This time we'll just bring bigger presence, better ideas, a more fluent preacher, whatever it might be. But what did Jesus say to do? He says if they don't want you, this is what you're to do. Verse number 11, even the very dust of your city which is what you're supposed to say. You're to go out and you say, Even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. So they're still preaching the gospel. They say, Hey, you've rejected us, but it's still coming. It's still coming. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable in the day of for Sodom. Then for that city. If they reject what you have to offer, you're not to keep pushing. You're not to bribe them. You're not to do any of that. Jesus says you go out in the street, wipe the dust off your shoes, and you curse them to the point that it would be better than it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what that means is, is that the day of judgment, when they find Their uh, eternal destination, that eternal destination in hell is going to be far worse than anything that was experienced at Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's have a second witness. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. Jesus gives his 12 disciples a call for evangelism. And what we're going to see is it's the exact same thing. Don't take any food, don't take any water, don't take anything to bribe these people with. They, you see, you are offering eternal life. See, I think sometimes we forget what it is that as, as missionaries, as evangelists, we forget what it is that we are truly offering. We are, now we're not, we have, we don't have anything to offer in this world. We have something to offer them that through Jesus, they can have eternal salvation, eternal life, with God. That's what we have to offer. If that's not good enough for them, Jesus is saying if they can't give you food, raiment, and a place to sleep, when you give them that, when you show them the pathway to eternal salvation, they should be pouring their beds out in front of you. Sleep here. We want you in our house. They should be so grateful. What he's looking for, he's saying, that you will find gratefulness among some that have been Moved in their heart by the Holy Spirit to receive Christ into their life, and those people will take care of you. It's not your job to take care of them. So we see, uh, let's see, the um, they're sent into the uh, into the other areas, the cities. That these are the twelve now. This is not the seventy, but the twelve. And it says, uh, verse number twelve, or rather verse eleven. And unto whatsoever city or town ye shall enter inquire who in it is worthy, and thereby till ye go thence. So they're instructed that you are to determine inside this town who is worthy and who is not. And I think that we look at that, that we're going to say that, that those who are going to receive the word and those who are going to reject it. Verse number 12, and when you come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. So if that house is is, received, is worthy of what you have to communicate. I mean, see, there's a verse in the Bible that says, don't throw your pearls before swine, okay? The swine is not worthy of this beautiful love story that they're to transmit about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not everybody is worthy of that. Only those who are gonna receive it and use it. And so once you've determined that this household It's worthy that they have been called by the Holy Spirit and are going to receive this word. Then you salute it and your peace be on it. Let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. Okay, and what's it say? And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment, than for that city." He's saying that the, the, the people that were judged in Sodom and Gomorrah are gonna have a better judgment day, if you can imagine that, a better judgment day than those who rejected the gospel that was with those 12 disciples. That's how we we're to evangelize. So this idea, put it all together, this idea that we're to allow all these people into our country that don't bring with them Jesus for an opportunity to evangelize. Well, Christ says, one, we're going to these places. Second, there are going to be some that are going to receive it and some that aren't. And if they don't, we don't live among them. It says we're to curse them. So, this idea that this is all about an opportunity to evangelize, well, even if you get a, a couple of them and you You turn their hearts. What about the the thousands that you don't? We're not not to dwell among the unbelievers. And we can see, now that Christians are starting to wake up, we can see the shift in our country. The shift is so far now. uh, Some believe that it's beyond taking control. Although millions upon millions of voters every year that are Christians don't go to the booths. So we still have some power in our hands. But we're slowly losing that power to be able to change the direction of this country. It's still, even with the government we have today, which has been the most um, right-sided government we've had in history, we still are not able to turn things around. We are still murdering babies at a regular rate in this country. How is that possible to have a dollar bill that says in God, we trust and in a country that still murders babies blows my mind, but it's happening. And it's happening because we don't live amongst only Christians. Our schools do not teach the Bible. Our churches do not teach the Bible. And there is a plethora of other religions competing for the hearts and minds of our children every day in the workforce, in the playgrounds, in the daycare centers. And it's our fault because Christians have failed to hear what God has to say about being separate from the world. Being separate from the world. But what about strangers, Nathan? You say, well, God has a lot to say about strangers even in Israel, well, strangers in Egypt, right? Well, God does have a lot to say, but, and I had several verses lined out, but we're running out of time. So I'm gonna to go to just one verse that, that will I think will confirm this point that I have to make. And that is that even the strangers that are within thy gates, those strangers that are dwelling inside your land are to do the same thing as the Christian. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 20. Many, many verses that I could go to that say the same thing. But this is, we'll say the, I'm gonna use this one. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 10. And I want you to find the word stranger in here. And I want you to find, see if you can identify what the stranger is supposed to do while he's in a strange land. It said, but the seventh day is the Sabbath unto the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates." Even the strangers, even we'll say the aliens, the foreigners, they are to do as we do. They're not free inside of a Christian country, inside of a a country that is built for God's people. They're not free to do whatever they want. They're not free to worship whomever they want. They are to do it the same way as we'll say the countrymen of that godly nation are acting. Well, I hope and pray that some value, some um, virtue has come from this lesson here today. It is not my intent to judge anyone. It is not my intent to force my belief down anyone's throat. I simply just want to show that God does have, we'll say, a standard for how a country, a, 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 a godly country is to be run. And America is not running that way. And although there's a lot of areas that we have compromised in such a large way that there may, may not be much hope for that, that is not an excuse that when opportunities come up for us to try to improve or to draw a line for the area of righteousness, that we should do that. And by opening up our borders to everyone regardless of whether they are Christian or not Christian is a very dangerous thing and it violates God's word. So I think, it is my personal opinion anyways, that Christians should stand. We're not standing against the laws of the land, but if we have an opportunity to go to the voting booth, that we should, with the very, the very power that we've been given to do so, vote to close our borders to non-Christians, to unbelievers, so that we can at least keep the shift that we're seeing in America as we see the non-believers coming into our country and now going to the voting booth, those both legal and illegal, going to the voting booth and voting their non-Christian values, their non-Christian virtues, the things that they hold dear to them. And they're fighting for it. And we're seeing these people in our government now, in places of great power. Because the Christians have been abusing the idea of evangelizing and the use of strangers and turned away from God's way of doing things. And we have the problem that we have today. Well, may God bless you and have a wonderful afternoon.